0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 104. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me today, we have a guest in the studio, Phoebe Lewis. Hello. And as you might guess from the episode title, this is going to be the second in our series for non-gamers in which we're going to talk about a very specific game, Gone Home, and the narrative structure and, again, certain biases we have against games as artistic mediums. And for those who might at some point play this game, which both Phoebe and I recommend, we will be spoiling plot details of this very plot-based experience. So don't listen any further if you think you might. And for those who would like to hear our thoughts, here we go. My first question for you, Phoebe, is what your expectations were coming into the game and how this experience shifted, perhaps, some of your perceptions as you played through it.
1: Well, I don't have a lot of experience in gaming at all, so I can't really say that I had many expectations going into it. But Kip, you helped set the game up for me so you saw how I reacted immediately, which was I was really excited just by how pretty it was. Um, It was just like very aesthetically pleasing. The music was really interesting. I don't know what you call it, but the kind of like starter menu, if that's what you call it, is just really beautiful. So I was really intrigued by that and kind of excited And it seemed different than what I was expecting, because when I think of computer games, I guess I sort of think of shoot 'em up games, sort of more dirty, grungy. And this was just very beautiful. It was sort of like light purple and blue, and it looked almost like a watercolor painting, and I really liked that.
0: And as we've said a few times now, this is very narrative-based, but it isn't arranged in a linear fashion. And in comparing it to books or movies or similar media, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how the story was arranged in this fashion and what that did for your experience.
1: Yeah, it was definitely challenging at first. And I had to kind of readjust the way that I was understanding myself as a participant because I think I went into it assuming that it would be fairly straightforward. Find the key, unlock the door, et cetera, you know, that sort of movement. But as you said, it very clearly became less of a find this to open that situation and more of piecing things together, relying on your own personal memory, relying on your intuition. That was also really interesting, sort of the emphasis on intuition. There are certain moments when you're playing the game where you will come across a handwritten note from an integral member of the family who kind of like speaks through those notes to you and you inhabit a certain character. So this person who's speaking to you as this character will really come alive in those moments. And that's super interesting. It made it feel much more like a conversation. It made it feel much more emotional. And I really appreciated that because instead of just collecting clues and evidence, I felt like I was kind of tracing together a rich history of relationships and life stories and I could kind of trace together what my fictitious parents were going through, what my fictitious sister was going through. It was much more than just trying to open certain doors and more about understanding the sort of relationships that had been going on. And I appreciated that as someone who tends to be more concerned with the relationships between people than the materialistic aspects of games that I would normally have thought of.
0: And i'm really glad that you pointed out that distinction between the material and relationships because that dichotomy definitely exists for a lot of people myself included but in this game as i suspect many other players would agree you learn about relationships through the material you find out that dad has been writing a series of spy novels that don't seem all that popular because they're stashed in boxes away in his office You learn that mom and dad aren't doing great in their relationship because of a pamphlet for a couple's retreat and other things you find scattered around the house, perhaps pinned to the refrigerator. And of course, you learn about your younger sister, Sam, who is timid and shy in school and isn't having a great time and is exploring her sexuality and learning that she's in fact attracted to women through these audio diaries that we get scattered throughout the game. And I would say is the focal narrative in this experience. And I'm also really happy that you use the possessive pronoun, my, because you do take ownership throughout this experience. One, because it's portrayed through the first person perspective. And two, because you are driving the story forward. Even if all of these scattered elements exist, you need to put them together as the player in order to construct a cohesive narrative. And I find that really interesting. And in a recent interview, the developer of this game noted that the time period is also essential for what happened because it takes place in June of 1995 when you, Katie, return from a trip in Europe during your years in college. And if this took place in 2015 when you might have a smartphone, a lot of these dilemmas wouldn't emerge because you'd have other forms of entertainment, you would have means to contact mom and dad, when in this game you only have landlines and voicemails to go off of. And I find it really interesting that they thought that through so thoroughly. And I'd also like to ask you, because many people have opinions on this, to what extent this can be called a game? There are a lot of critics who say it's really not a game, you're not resisting anything or fighting anything, you're not overcoming very much. It's more of a story in which your hand is loosely held, and you played through this game mere hours ago, so I would definitely value your input on whether or not it can be classified as a game and what that says about our conception of what a game is or is not.
1: Well, the one thing that I'll say is that I played this game for two hours straight and it went by really fast, so clearly I was enjoying myself. So I don't know if that, you know, helps boost its definition as a game or not because the game encourages you to take ownership of the story and to make discoveries in real time. For me, that makes it a game because it's sort of a game of strategy. You have to pick up clues. For instance, I had to, I say I, as you pointed out, unlock a filing cabinet to get, I think it was either a key or a note, something that was really important to the story. So in order to get that code, I had to figure out where certain scraps of paper were located, remember that certain scraps had numbers on them, and really keep things filed away, as it were, in my own mind. And I think that was really cool, too, because it wasn't just me inhabiting this character. I actually really had to actively remember things and carry them through to the end in order to finish the game. Also, I found it interesting, when you were describing the game, you said it was a game that you really had to work through and sort of engage with. And when you said that, I thought of this screenwriting course that I'm in right now. And I really wonder what kind of screenwriting goes into something like this. I think I really appreciated this game because I'm really into film and drama in general. And it really did feel like a performance piece in a way because I had this disembodied voice of my younger sister coming out and speaking to me at certain intervals during the game. And I enjoyed that because it felt like I was both learning something but also enjoying sort of a presentation. And I wonder what kind of screenwriting goes into that and in what way the screenwriting might differ from that from a film or in what ways it might be similar. I wonder how the experience of listening to and watching this game might in some ways echo listening to and watching a film.
0: As always, I'm glad when we make those connections and draw those parallels, because I believe, as you're saying, there are a lot of similarities between this game and film, and in fact, many other games. You had told me before we'd started recording that you didn't expect a game to have this much narrative and be this emotional and for me that's what stands out about this game i played it once a few summers ago and it hit me very emotionally and again we are spoiling certain things about this game so don't listen if you think that we aren't going to share these details at the end of the game when you learn that your sister who is struggling with her identity both sexual and otherwise decides to run away with her girlfriend, who would have joined the military and decided at the last moment not to, that really hit me because I've had emotional relationships where I feel very strongly about other people and the thought of losing them is very hard, but very relatable. And to me, that's what made this such a fascinating game and a fascinating experience because I also have a family and I also have a house. And so there's a lot of relatability throughout the experience because. You feel connected to the family you're learning about. And I think on many levels, you do come to recognize what your role as Katie is within this family, if only from an observer's perspective.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think your point on the house and relatability is really key there. I think that this game is really intelligent in how it taps into not necessarily universal, but very relatable and accessible tropes. So you've got the house. Everyone who is lucky enough to have a home can understand what it's like to walk into your house and no one's there. And then suddenly it feels a little different. When you've got someone in the kitchen who welcomes you home, when you've got your dog there, you feel like you're walking into a home. When you walk into a house, but there's no one there, it feels a little different. Maybe this is just my experience, but I definitely have had memories of coming home. For instance, when I was living alone during the summer, for a couple weeks this past year, I would come home and it would just be me in the house. And that felt really different. And it felt a little eerie at times. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the game because not only did it echo experiences that I've had, but I think it was very cleverly conducted.
0: And in pointing out further details of relatability, one detail that I was thinking about before we began recording that I wanted to discuss with you is the concept of a house snapshot. And to what extent, if you walked into someone's home and no one was there and you could rifle through drawers and explore as much as you wanted to, as this game allows you to do with a fictitious family, to what extent does it make you think about what others might conclude if they walked into your home or in our previous experience in college, if someone had walked in, do you think they could understand how you and your housemates related to one another and lived your individual lives?
1: I think it's so fascinating, that connection you actually just pointed out between relationships and materials, kind of going back to that. I do think it could be really telling to walk into a house not knowing anyone and kind of try and trace the relationships and the ways that people interact with each other. For instance, you walk into a house and it's spotless. You can immediately tell that at least one person in the house is a little bit uptight about how clean things are but it maybe if you walk into a house that has a clean living room, but one of the bedrooms is really messy, you can understand that maybe there's some contention there. I just think that's so cool. And it's also interesting, I think, in turn to see how, and this is less related to the game, but just in general, to see how we like to represent ourselves through the spaces that we live in and the kind of style that we try to cultivate in the places that we live in. So some people have magnificent posters, some people have artsy sketches. Some people will have rugs hanging on the wall. Maybe people are creating those kinds of spaces for themselves because they forge this image that they want to inhabit as much as they are reflections on who they are.
0: And I think this concept of reflections is also really important. Again, looking at time period and what was strewn about this house, there were VHS tapes of the X-Files in the living room. And you're reminded immediately that this is taking place in an era where people watched VHS tapes and where people might be watching the X-Files. And as I look around my room now, when we're recording this, many of my posters, for example, of Avatar The Last Airbender, situate the room that we are in in a place in time because you couldn't have a poster of a show that didn't exist yet or a celebrity who had not been made famous. And that's something that's also very interesting about this game and this experience. And I'd like to ask, as a non-gamer, what your learning process was like as you began to navigate this world and what rules you think govern the world of Gone Home in the same way that in the real world, concepts like physics and social dynamics govern how we interact with our world.
1: Well, first of all, Kip, you were really helpful in the beginning because I am an absolute non-gamer and didn't even know how to move around the world at all. So it helped to kind of know which buttons to press, which things to click on. So once I got a hang of that, then I kind of had an understanding of how to move around physically. But then there was a whole other dimension, which was how to interact with things. So once I learned how to crouch down, click on things, pick them up, explore them, I kind of had my bearings in this world, but it was a whole other deal trying to piece things together. So for instance, one of the most interesting parts of the game, in my opinion, is finding secret passageways. And so I was looking for a secret passageway because I had looked for help on this part because I honestly had no idea where to go. So I knew that I was in an area that had a secret passageway, but I didn't know where it was and I wasn't sure what to do. So I had to really think about ways that I could manipulate my surroundings. So I would run my cursor along walls, which I wouldn't have originally thought about. And that's how I found one of the passageways. So it was all about kind of learning how to interact with the environment in ways that were new. Some of the most interesting moments of discovery for me were when I would find, say, a hat box or a tissue box, and I would pick it up, examine it, throw it to the side, and realize that there was something else underneath. And that was always fun, having that little moment of eureka, realizing that I had moved forward unintentionally. And so it really encouraged me to aggressively interrogate my surroundings at all times, which is not something that I tend to do in my daily life, so it's kind of fun to inhabit that perspective.
0: And with the mention of perspective, I think it's important to discuss the singularity of this experience, not necessarily in its narrative, but in the fact that, as you stated before recording, you might not return to this game. You might play through it once and that's it. And this game originally retailed at $20 to download. And I'd like to know, as someone who has definitely watched movies and consumed other media, if you think that's a reasonable price, and in more depth, what you think about the one time nature of this story, and if you really think it is a one-time experience.
1: Well, you mentioned that this was a very popular game when it was first released, right? Is $20 a common price tag for a game of this length?
0: Well, I'm glad that you ask, because for various downloadable titles that may have been produced by indie developers, which are smaller than AAA developers who have hundreds of people working on their games, for example, the Assassin's Creed franchise that we mentioned in our previous episode of this series, Prices can often vary, and I would say $20 is typically a sweet spot that shows the developer took a lot of time and used a lot of resources to craft this game because there are also downloadable titles for $5 that don't have as much depth or aren't as long and simply, in my opinion, are not as intellectual. And I'm sure a lot of non-gamers would scoff at that, but I think this was in many ways a very intellectual, if not an emotional experience. And the company who crafted this game, the Fulbright Company, is currently working on another title called Tacoma, which is set in outer space and has an approach much like Gone Home for people who are interested in checking it out. And I remember thinking $20 for a two to three hour game does seem excessive, but certain experiences at the movies might cost similar fees and are not as participatory. So again, I pass it back to you in terms of the financial expense and what you think about that.
1: That is such an interesting question because I'm a huge movie theater buff. I just love going to the movies. I always have. And part of why I love going to the movies is I really enjoy that feeling of being overwhelmed, being in sort of sensory overload, you know, when it's so loud that the seats seem to be shaking and the colors are so bright. And I'm willing to pay 8 to $12 for that. I don't think I would pay 20 but I would shell out a sizable chunk for that experience. But I don't know if paying $20 for a game that you can only play once is something that I can compare to go into the movies.
0: And what about this makes you feel that you can in fact only play it once? Do you think replaying it would be boring because you know how it plays out? Do you think you might not see details that you hadn't? And finally... When I purchased this game, I didn't necessarily anticipate sharing it with a friend like you, but I'm happy to have paid $20 in order to have others like yourself play through the experience.
1: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned sharing because I think that obviously I don't know for certain, but I imagine that fandoms of games may be different from fandoms of films. I'm not quite sure, to be honest, because I think part of being really excited by a film is really wanting to share it with someone saying, oh, you got to see this. I'm going to take you to go see Zoolander so that we can see Zoolander 2 together and we can have this experience. And I guess in some ways that is similar to sharing this game. I think the difference is that because it's participatory. I wonder if the experience a second or a third time is inevitably going to be different, if not diluted by the fact that you already know what's going to happen. That being said, we all know what happens at the end of Star Wars Episode 7 or whatever, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't enjoy it. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm ambivalent. I'm not quite sure how they are different, but I do think that the participatory element does make playing a game a second or third time definitely different
0: and something we haven't examined very much which i would like to discuss about gone home and also perhaps in a future episode of this series with you is this sense of a video game as a multimedia experience because you have voice acting you have music in certain games and less so in others you of course have the visual aspect which you commented on earlier as being very pretty in gone home And I have to conclude that that affected your experience with it. You also have the active participation using a controller or a mouse and keyboard to interact with this world in some way. And as a non-gamer, I really want to know what you think about all of those elements being incorporated and if you think one stood out more than another as you played through it.
1: I think the thing that really stuck out the most to me was the voice acting. I thought it was really, really impressive. And as someone who really appreciates good acting, I was really impressed with the level of emotion that I was getting from those voices. I was more moved than I had expected, and I appreciated that a lot. It didn't feel like it was being faked or forced in any way. It felt very natural and organic, and I really appreciated that. I was also really interested by the overlay of what looked like real photos with the digital landscape. And perhaps that's something that's just more common in gaming. I don't know. But there were certain moments where there would be a photo of someone in the family and it looked like a real photo, but there was something a little different about it. And that was kind of cool too, because it didn't seem like it was trying too hard to be 100% real. And that was fun. It was sort of like this alternate universe where emotions are still very much the same and just as powerful, but the universe operates in a slightly different way.
0: And I'd like to say, if I haven't done so already, that I really appreciate your willingness and enthusiasm to explore this world, because in the same way that you compared film excitement, I was really excited to share this experience with you. And truly, if you had had a negative experience with it, I would have still been curious to see why that had been the case. And that doesn't mean I'm not happy that you really enjoyed it in the same way that I did. But as I hope this series illustrates, it's great to get a different perspective of someone who had not heard of this game before and was still willing to play it. So thank you again for trying it out.
1: Oh my gosh, it was my absolute pleasure. I'm really glad I got to try it. So thank you.
0: Of course. And related to that, as one of my final questions, I would like to know, how you would pitch this game to another non-gamer? Do you think you could convince someone listening who might never play it to at least consider what would you try and describe to persuade them? You obviously enjoyed it, and I'd love to have your input there.
1: Well, I'm looking over my notes right now that I made right after finishing the game, and the three things that I wrote down in particular are, I didn't think a game could have a narrative like that. I didn't think a game could have emotion like that. And it plays almost more like a novel or a movie than a game. I think that as far as games go, this was quite accessible in content. It was definitely challenging in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And I enjoyed that challenge. I felt like, ooh, I'm kind of rusty here. I haven't really thought like a detective in a while but it was really fun. It was kind of fun to really have to think hard about how things connected. So I think it was just a really good challenge and it was really beautiful at times, very haunting and well worth the experience. So for all you people out there who are considering playing this game, I highly recommend it. And even if you find it frustrating at times, I still think that it's worth checking out.
0: And of course, like with other episodes, I'd love to hear what you want the audience to think about, not necessarily related to Gone Home, but with relation to narrative experiences in video games and what you've learned and would like to either impart to them or hope they consider if they have biases like you might have that games can't have emotion or narrative, I'd love to hear what you think.
1: Well, I would like to first say that I've been very humbled by this experience because I realized that I should probably leave my biases at the door because this game really showed me up in that way. I was really impressed by the emotion in the narrative and how beautiful it was. So first of all, I would say games definitely do have the capacity to be beautiful and emotional in ways that maybe non-gamers don't quite understand. So I would urge you to seek out games that seem aesthetically pleasing or intellectually interesting in lieu of trying to force yourself to do games that maybe aren't that interesting to you, such as Assassin's Creed, for instance. So if you don't like to play shoot 'em up games, you don't have to. Try and find something that is more artistic, that is more story-based, that is more based on relationships, because what this game has shown me is that there are games like that out there that are accessible to a wider audience than non-gamers might initially expect.
0: I concur with everything you just said, and as we'd mentioned earlier, I want the audience to think about the idea of a home snapshot. If you left your house right now, what might a stranger or phantom exploring your house conclude about you as a person? Because in many ways, you are in this game a ghost. You aren't necessarily changing the house so much as exploring and uncovering it, and if you're a non-gamer, what might your biases be against gaming as it relates to narrative experiences? And Phoebe, thank you again for coming on. I'm looking forward to future episodes in this series and it was great to have you.
1: Oh, it was so much fun. Thank you for having me, Kip.
0: But of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or feedback of any kind, we really want you to reach out to us, which you can do via Twitter or Facebook, where if you like our page, You'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsauntra at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with a friend you think might enjoy it or get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.